Welcome back. I'm Sheila Hamilton. This is Beyond Well. Hi, John. Hi, Sheila. And we are in what we're calling Dry January, along with our partners over at Fora Health. And today we are doing the second half of the episode featuring Mike Hovey and Stephen Milanese. These are two guys who spent decades of their life in serious drug addiction. Decades. And their paths to recovery are completely different. But they're both now in the helping world of trying to get others to see that recovery can be such a beautiful, joyful life. It's Beyond Well and the interview with Mike Hovey and Stephen Milanese. And if you've loved this series of conversations as much as I have, please give us a thumbs up where you listen to podcasts, especially on Apple Podcasts. It's a great thing to review because every time we get a review, it means we get more support for doing these kinds of conversations. Fora Health is a nonprofit alcohol and drug treatment center in Portland, Oregon, that has been helping youth, adults, and families for nearly 50 years. They offer compassionate, comprehensive, and affordable care for everyone, regardless of background, orientation, or ability to pay. Fora recently opened a new state-of-the-art campus in Portland's Southeast Gateway District, and the entire campus is healing and supportive. You can find out more about their full array of evidence-based therapies for drug and alcohol treatment at www.forahealth.org. If you or a loved one needs support, there are many options and personalized approaches to care. Reach out to Fora Health at 503-535-1151 or see the show notes for more details. Part 2. Stephen Milanese. Stephen, it is so wonderful to meet you. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks, Sheila. I have been so looking forward to this interview in particular because I was so inspired by your story of recovery. But to catch everybody else up, could you please talk to people just a little bit about your own story of addiction? Yeah, um, so my story of addiction goes back to my early 20s and trying to fit in, feeling socially awkward. And um, I remember buying cigarettes for other people uh, that got me smoking cigarettes and just kind of went from there, went through different drugs and the drug scene and went through different layers of homelessness and, you know, having that get worse over time and even coming to the thing of moving to Portland as an attempt to use a geographic change to get away from my substance of abuse. But what I found when I got here, that it wasn't my substance that was chasing me, it was me. So, you know, finding the same thing as soon as I got here. I'm wondering if you have strong reactions when you see the increase in the number of unhoused people who are clearly using, just how it hits you emotionally. I do. Yeah, I see, you know, when you drive downtown and you see the tents everywhere, it is not like it was in the past. And, and part of me just doesn't understand it. Uh, it is scary. And um, I wish you could reach more people. No kidding. Well, I'm hoping that this is what this does to provide some sort of helping hand to people who might think that they're at the bottom and there is no chance for recovery. I'm really enjoying this series with For Health. So many people who have been homeless and using drugs think this is it. There's no option for help. Nobody cares about me. What would you like to tell those people? Oh gosh, it's, it's so hard to reach somebody when you're there. I remember being there mentally and not wanting to hear the things that other people had said and thinking that it was so hard to just get my daily needs met. Mm. 
where am I going to sleep tonight? Like, how am I going to stay out of the sun enough that I feel well enough to keep going for the next day? You really can't focus on the long-term goals. So what I would say to those people is to give in to the help that is being given in different forms and to seek out services. And I always tell people head for a metropolitan area, mm-hmm. go to where the services are. Yeah. What prompted you to keep searching for openings and for this kind of assistance? What, what voice was there or what longing was there to actually get healthy? You know, for me, it was um, just being taken further and further away from where I was supposed to be. I remember people when I was fully in my addiction telling me that you are better than this. You need to get your life back together. And they knew that I was throwing it away. Mm. I think that there were resources out there. I could see them. Um, I also couldn't access them because I felt so connected to my substance and to the people that were around me. And I think part of that was being able to let go and to say that, Although I love the people that I'm surrounded by, like I need more, I need more for myself and I need more for the things that I want to do with my life. And I've got to leave something behind to keep on going. Mm. What functionally changed for you? Like which organizations provided help? How did you actually commit to staying in the program? CCC was a big help for me. So was LifeWorks. Mm -hmm. Um, I went through the Central City Concern homeless shelter, and then over to the Clark Center a couple of times. Those are super helpful for me. It gave me the structure where I could thrive in. And I I knew that myself, I could comply. That was one of my, that was one of my benefits of being able to be in a program is that I could do this as, as other people laid out. So from there, I could access those other services. Could you talk a little bit about specifically what happened in treatment for you that made you realize, oh my gosh, I can do this? Oh, gosh. You know, well, I, I'm still friends with uh, my counselor. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> with one of them um, uh, from LifeWorks. Um, I went through LifeWorks and I actually was there for a good period of time in treatment. And I just remember it, all the information, all the skills, you know, especially DBT, it just kind of clicking with me mm. and just understanding these processes kind of instinctually and thinking to myself that, As I learn, and if I go into teaching, um, teaching is going to help me relearn every day, just like some people will do like the steps in AA or NA. Just being able to talk about these skills all the time is going to keep on reinforcing my own learning. So what effect does having a personal past with addiction have on your interaction with your clients and customers? Well, you know, we try to avoid uh, transference and countertransference, uh, of course, but, you know, sometimes it's just having that quick understanding of what somebody is going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it gives us a leg up a lot of times, like somebody can just tell us a brief snippet of a situation and, um, and our minds go into just several different lanes of thinking. It's like, it could be this, it could be this, it could be that that's going on and, and maybe give us a wider range of ways to respond to these things. How do you end up using this knowledge with people who might be unaware that you actually have been in their shoes and walked their walk? Are you open with them about your past? I can be open with them about the past. Of course, I've got to check in and and see, you know, what is their intention on on asking questions in that area, how it's going to help them or if it's going to actually harm their treatment. I mean, their perceptions of me as a counselor and my effectiveness with them can be altered by that knowledge. So I've got to be really careful and just pepper a little bit of disclosure here and there when it's helpful. 
But I think there are times when somebody can talk about how something feels mm -hmm. and I can just respond with the validation. I know what you're talking about and, you know, um, go into that a little bit more. It helps a person feel understood and not so alien. Yeah, absolutely. This allyship has got to be so important and it would seem to me that as a recovering addict that it's always very dangerous to be hearing about the exploits and what may seem as fun to those people when they're talking about their lives because it may reactivate to you either old traumas or old wishes. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? I would say that some things that people talk about are definitely activating. Yeah. <laughs> um, lifestyles, choices, some of it was just so much fun. But I, I also think that as a recovering addict, you've got to be able to validate what the substances did for you and the things that you were getting out of them mm. in the way that if you don't give it its due, if you don't understand what you used it for, then you can't get past it. Oh, now this is a really interesting part to me because I think for people to understand that oftentimes the substances or the way we numb out or the way that we socially drink is all to be able to get through certain things, correct? Yeah. And yeah. so were you self-medicating for prior trauma? Yeah, I would say that with for myself, you know, a lot of it was feeling socially awkward growing up. I was uh, I was a, a gay person and uh, and wasn't out when I was younger. If that makes yeah. sense, my family didn't know, and um, so part of my childhood was just kind of blocked off by coping with the fact that I was trying to hide something at all times, which made yeah. me socially awkward. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And if you just look at the data on LGBTQIA in and substance abuse use, it's way higher, especially in those years when people are figuring out how to come out and how to be accepted. So of right. course, yeah. <laughs> this makes total sense to me. Yeah. And so in my early 20s, it was my way of finding my people and, yep. you know, becoming, uh, it was kind of like having my teenage years for the first time in my 20s. And I, I went too far. Yeah. yeah, I understand it. Just in terms of your personal safety and your uh, and your reliability as a human, I'd imagine. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just having too much fun and not really thinking about the future and just engaging in what I'd never had before and feeling comfortable with people. And also, like I, one of the things that I teach my clients at all times is that if you're using substances to get past something that doesn't feel comfortable like if you if you will get drunk and then go sing karaoke where you wouldn't before or yeah. if you will have a substance and then go dance where you wouldn't before like you need to be thinking about increasing your comfort zone in different areas you need to be finding different ways to get out there and do the things that you're wanting to do in your life without using a substance as an excuse so what what do you think about the role of therapy when dealing with addiction and would you talk to me about some of the therapies that you find most helpful in sort of the bringing about the aha moment for your clients one of my favorites is actually super simple it's stages of change okay um, and it's literally just like identifying where you are because I feel like identifying where you are is kind of like a map if yeah. you know where you are you can figure out where you're trying to go yeah so if I know that I'm in the contemplative stage where I'm thinking about it I know how to get to preparation is like I can call an agency and I can make an appointment Right. That is literally a way of shifting yourself from one mode to the other mode, understanding exactly where, what you're feeling and where you want to go. Yeah. 
And then beyond that, what are the other stages? I'm so curious now about this. Uh, so there's pre-contemplation, which is like, I'm not really thinking about it. That's mm -hmm. not me. Yeah. Contemplation is like, I'm weighing out the pros and the cons or like Got what's it. good and what's bad about it. Preparation is I'm, I'm past that tipping point and I know that I want to make a change. So yeah. like we're thinking about a diet or whatever it is. Yeah. Action is like, I'm trying to make those changes maintenance is that i've made some good changes and i'm just kind of like holding on and i need to be able to go back and make other changes yeah and then within there we throw in laps and a relapse too because we we expect every attempt at sobriety is not going to be perfect what what has been your personal history of relapse and and how have you overcome it oh gosh um <laughs> i would just say to people that before my current almost 13 years, you know, I, I would actually think of it as though I was attempting to be sober for about the six years before that. Wow. And that that was off and on, you know, periods of attempts at sobriety and lapses or relapses. Mm -hmm. And um, there was one that was particularly hard. I, I it was after one year, I had had a, a, a lapse. Um, and then got right back onto it. Uh, and that was very tough. You know, you, the, the feelings are being suicidal when you've made such a big mistake that you feel like you've thrown everything away. But, but did you find Stephen that you actually hadn't thrown it away that many of the sort of foundational building blocks were kind of there and it was easier to re up your commitment to sobriety? Definitely. I think that you've got to learn what you what you can get out of your lapses and your relapses are definitely learning moments. And that I tell people all the time, if you're using a clean date, you might want to include, like I've been trying to do this for the last 10 years, as opposed to like, I have 30 days clean or whatever, Yes, yeah. you know, honor, honor what you've really been putting into it. Cause most of us have put in a lot more than, than we have in clean time. Yeah. I want you to talk a little bit about um, medication assisted therapy, whether or not you used it and whether or not you recommend other people consider it. Uh, so for myself, my substance was a stimulant. So I didn't have the option of, of medication assisted treatment. I know that in the past, you know, when I was first in recovery myself and actually even before that, I would have had a a negative um, thought pattern about medication-assisted treatment. I know I would have looked at it as though somebody was using a crutch. But knowing what I know now, I know that medication-assisted treatment is completely helpful. It saves lives every day if you have the option to do it, if it fits with your substance of abuse. It's a strong means of, of working towards it. And it's just one leg. You know, I mean, there's also behavioral treatment. There's also recovery supports that are outside community supports. Think of it as one means of doing this. And if you add all these things together, it makes it a hell of a lot easier. It's been such a tremendously difficult year for so many people. And now, uh, of course, it's another tremendously difficult time. Has this been challenging to your sobriety? And how have you taken care of yourself? I think I've been lucky in that way where it hasn't really been challenging to my sobriety. I, I have so much time um, that I've, I've gotten nice and comfy in my oh, sobriety. That's so great. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. But I know that um, for a lot of people, this time has been super challenging with the isolation yeah. and all the feelings that come across and people losing their loved ones and losing jobs or having to give them up and, you know, all the different areas that, the pandemic has affected us. What kind of insights have you gleaned even just in this pandemic that have helped you deal with the client base who's currently accessing your help, Stephen? 
I think that we've learned a lot of flexibility. We've learned a lot about ourselves as treatment providers. We've learned a lot about um, the folks that we are working with that we had never even had to consider. And I think that, you know, using telehealth, we've used phone groups, we've used video groups. I think we've, we've just learned some things that we go. I actually love people, seeing people in their own environment. You know, people are showing me their backyards or showing me their car <laughs> or, you know, like we talk about like what's on the walls in your house and how that yeah. relates to like what's going on with you. I think it's all great. That's so, I'm so inspired just by your levity and your kindness and your total commitment and compassion for people who are going through something very similar to what you experienced, Stephen. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, thank you. Bye.